you were talking about um god does not count sin where law does not exist so mm-hmm. the people who died all of those people back then will they still go to heaven will they still go to heaven mm-hmm. no because the beginning of this book told us that the things that could be known about god was revealed unto them so the people that lived back then from adam unto moses will be judged by the law that god placed within their own hearts in the reality of who God is, that they did not seek and honor him as God. So everybody that exists know God is and know that he is real. But everybody that exists does not acknowledge him as God. I give you an analogy to help you understand. You ever went over, you had a friend that had one of them just showing up mamas or grandmamas and you go over their house and they come around and you don't speak? You never had that happen? Well, I asked folks, you go over their house and it's like the worst thing that you can do is be in your friend mama house and don't say hey to mama. They're going to they gonna let you know. They're going to let your friend know and you're going to get in trouble for having them all up in my house and they ain't even speak to me. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you must say, say some say hey, I don't care if I was in the back. You don't come in my house without acknowledging me. See, my mama know. <laughs> That's just like the biggest offense ever. And what God has is the same type of system. You got people living on God's earth that knows that this is his earth and don't acknowledge him as God. So those people from Adam to Moses are condemned by their rejection and their oppression of the truth that they have. So when God judged them, he's not going to judge them off Moses' law. He don't have to. What are you going to judge them off the law that is in their hearts and their rejection of him? That's from Romans chapter 1. That makes sense to you. Go ahead. Um, I also had another question. Um, You were saying how we manifest what's in, what's in our heart. And we do, when we're born, we're born with a corruptible nature, a corrupted mm-hmm. nature. So I wanted to know, if you are subject to certain circumstances and situation in your life, Will your identity be shaped by those things, even though we manifest what's in our heart? So, okay, I think I get what you're getting. So can society or uh, upbringing shape our identity? I say yes, it shape our perception of ourselves, but who we are is manifested based off who we are. So my identity is what it is. And the way that I express it can be guided based on the situation and circumstances that I'm in. And it, it help you understand. Well, just think about it. The people you know, the people you grew up with, a whole lot of different folks. All of them in the same place grew up. But do they all act and respond the same way to everything? No. Because each one of them has an individual nature. You understanding what I'm saying? Like I was number four out of five. Grew up in the same house, in the same neighborhood, exposed to a lot of the same foolishness. But even as sinners, we all responded and we all act differently because of what our nature was. You get what I'm saying? We all made fault, but the way we fought different. I was a quiet fighter. Take a whole lot, won't say nothing. Then all of a sudden, boom. You hit, and I'm sitting there smiling. 
Well, I got some sisters. Chase you down. <laughs> Jump through windows. And do all, I ain't doing all that. If you run, you won. Because I ain't really trying to fight. I'm trying to defend myself. They get to the point where you offend them, they trying to fight. <laughs> Is it evil? Yes. Does our situation may have something to do with it? Possible. Because we was in a situation where fighting was coming. But the expression of that is shaped by our nature and our identity, not vice versa. You, you get what I'm saying? So society has a part to play in how we express our sinfulness. It does not create it. So we were already born with the sinful nature and the things we go through kind of it's like an outward expression of what was already inside of us. The things that we go through can shape and mold what's inside of you. So as you begin to give shape to yourself, the things that you go through can shape and mold certain things. Or sometimes certain things that you have within you. Some people are, are withdrawers. So if you go through something traumatic in your life, it becomes a sensitivity and a sore because you just draw in. While somebody else is who are more open and who are more expressive than you, it becomes a, a, a trigger for anger. You, you get what I'm saying? You may have gone through the same thing, but because of the person that has gone through it, the way that it expresses differently. So when you sit it, you get back, you get depressed, you shut off, you don't want to call nobody, and you are all by yourself like, what's wrong with her? And all they did was made, say something that made you thought about something that may have happened to you. While somebody else, you make that thing, they ready to slap everybody. And they got to storm off and like, hey, man, I'm going to tell you, say something else to me again. And you're like, what? Huh? I ain't do nothing but call you Jacob. Huh? <laughs> that ain't my name. <laughs> you, you get, it make a little sense to you. So the the kid thing is what, as a mom, like, I'm particularly sensitive to. So, like, I know last week you talked about our sinful nature like our kids are born or children are born sinners. So how come like when I look at the Mary story, I look at Eve and then I look at the Mary story mm -hmm. as like a parallel, like that that is a redemptive story, so to speak. So when, if I'm righteous or maybe I'm not, um, just hypothetically, if you, a righteous person brings children into the world, why won't or will their children be righteous like consider or do righteous things like the same thing I see what you're saying now there's a principle that goes forth well I can't think of where it is now but the Bible talks about that God visited visit the righteousness of the family upon the third and fourth and so on generation so if I am righteous I'm setting up a heritage for my children so there's a greater disposition in them towards righteousness than with me not being so. You, you understand what I'm saying? But I don't see anywhere in scripture where my righteousness is automatically imputed to them. So they're not righteous because I'm righteousness, but there's a mercy of God that is poured forth on them because of my righteousness. Well, there's more of a drawing, there's more of a pulling, and more of a sensitivity towards the things of God because God 
rewards me in my righteousness and that reward has the ability to be passed on just like the punishment in the older ages had the ability to be passed on so uh, a nation can be raised under judgment and a nation can be raised under blessing but you get what i'm saying so there's a greater disposition within the children of the righteous malachi talks about he put them together that he may have a righteous seed so he took the righteous together that he may have a righteous seed so there's something of the nature of you that God rewards and bless your children based on your blessing, but that blessing does not automatically equates to eternal life, if I can put it that way. So yes, I guess more so like if if the sin thing makes it so that like I want to do my own sin, like under the new when you're talking about no longer are the children's teeth set on uh-huh. edge by the sins of the father. So is the principle, can I expect the same principle to work then with my kids that my, not that they, I, I know that they, again, under that law, they have to know Christ for themselves, mm-hmm. but like pushing through the womb of a righteous person, would they, I guess, does that same umbrella cause them to want to be, Live yeah. out their righteous, not, you know, not a sinful yeah. life, but a righteous. Yeah. I, and that's the principle that he visits the righteousness of the fathers upon the children. So there's a position of blessing <clears throat> that, that is poured upon the children because of the, the, the covenant of the family of the parents. It, it even hints at it towards first Corinthians seven, where it talks about that. Because the mother is holy, the children are holy. It even goes to say the father is holy. So there's a position of separation. There's a position of blessing that is given upon the children of the righteous where God deals with them in a more sensitive, in a more open way than with the children of the heathen. Like I said, that does not automatically equate to righteousness, but in the sense of like disposition. We see it with alcoholism. There's more of a sensitivity in some people when they grew up in the house of it, than there is with others. And there's more of a sensitivity to righteousness in the hearts of righteous children. They, they have more of a longing. And it's our job as parents to cultivate that and to bring them up and to train them in that way. But there is a, a, a more natural disposition or there, there is a level of blessing that God puts upon the children of the righteous. Because that's always been a thing for me in certain I didn't really understand, like, so with that perspective, so how do you then do as a parent now raising kids, do I view myself raising sinners or, you know what I mean? Like, I would say yes, but you do it in the sense of understanding the blessing of God that is upon them because they're your children. So it's more in the sense of like discipling a babe than it is converting a heathen if, 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 if that makes a little sense in your in your head so you got this person who are starting they're open towards the things of Christ they ain't just all the way out there they, they're open but you know they're not saved they're not Christian they have this openness and this sensitivity towards God and the things of the Bible so you take it more so as discipling that person than than converting a, a just outright heathen because still the heart is within them. It's a rebellion is still living in the heart of a child. And you see that and you deal with that. Now you can speak to them from that position, but the danger that I always face 
is for you not to convince them that they're Christians, but you work with them to disciple them and allow God to convict them to become Christians. You get what I'm saying? And and, and that's the tough line that we have to, to deal with. So you can deal with them so that's from an identity perspective. And the way you do that is just like Paul did in, in 1 Corinthians 5 we were talking about. Like, hey, people who love God don't do this and this and this and this. But you do it from a standpoint if you call in the sin, you convicting them of the sin, but you're still doing it with the identity aspect of that because you're related to me, just like Joshua says, for me and my house, we shall serve the Lord. So we're coming from the standpoint, this house is a house of people who love God. Now, if you're in here, this is the type of person you is. And when they get out of line from that, that's the way you deal with them. We don't do that in here because we love God in here. And you do it from the sensitivity of discipling and hoping that God takes that and convicts them. But you don't want to swing the pendulum all the way to the other way and just from the standpoint of go, they're already a Christian. And you, uh, you say, you know you say. How you know you say? Because I told you you were. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? And then you have this mass youth group revival that's going on. It ain't devival. Well, you got all these Christian children who get up and they 17 and now they realize they really ain't Christian. But when Justin go to them to witness to them, he can't because they already saved. Yeah. <laughs> in their mind, they are because they've been raised in here and they don't see no wrong that they ever did. Because I went out there sleeping around. I went out there fighting and stealing and doing all that stuff. My mama didn't, didn't play that. So they gain their identity from you. And so they don't see the sinfulness of themselves. They don't see the, 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 the anger in their heart. They don't see the selfishness within them because it ain't manifested the way the rest of the world is manifested because they grew up in your house. And so once they get out there, Justin can't call them a sinner because I ain't never slept around with nobody. I ain't never stole nothing. I ain't never shot no gun. I ain't never robbed nobody. So he got to go all the way through these other things to, to get them to see that conviction because they've never been convicted of the little lust that's in their heart. They've never been convicted of lying. They've never been convicted of selfishness. They've never been convicted of covetousness because their parents just told them they were sinners. You get what I'm saying? So you disciple them up under the Holy Spirit, training them in the fear and admonition of, of God. But you do it with a sensitivity towards that God is with me and his blessing is upon my children because he has blessed me. That makes a little sense to you. Just back on what you just said. So my question is, if if through one man sin into the world and all of his seed became sinners mm -hmm. and there's a necessity for salvation, then you may or may not, you know, why would it be that through one man righteousness enters the world, but not, but that righteousness is not imputed upon that continuation of their seed the same way sin is imputed upon the mm -hmm. continuation of Adam's seed. Yeah, and I would say the reason that it is so is because our nature as human beings is bound up in all that we are. And in our new little Western world that we got this dichotomy between spirit and, 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 and flesh, between spirit and natural nature. But as I read through the Bible, I don't see that separation. That soul stands for the inward thing, the physical thing, and all of the above. It, it, it is man. 
So there's a sense in which corruption dwells within our beings as humans. It's in us, just like we see corruptions in our natural manifestation. We see certain signs, certain things. Some people born with sickle cell. That's a deviation, that's a corruption of the genome. And to the same degree, the lust, the line, the hatred, and all that other stuff is a corruption of the natural man. So the full redemption has not yet taken place. So that's why in Romans 8, it talks about we groan and we wait for the redemption to come, even though we already been told us that we redeem. So there's a final redemption that will take place that will undo all the corruption that Adam has placed within humanity as a whole. So God did the reverse. He went from the inside outwardly. And also, it's the call and the response of the restoration of what Adam lost. Because Adam lived in his own will, in his own way, and it's a call to love God. And the love in and of itself is built in with will and a choice. So the way God has set it up, that the only people who gets in is the people who love God. And the people who love God are the one who choose to do what it is that God has called us to do. But the only people that could do that are the people that have been born again and recreated. So this has to be a pursuit. And that's the beginning of the undoing of the corruption. But the complete redemption ain't going to take place to God set this thing on fire and he recreate heaven and earth and all of us are made brand new to our whole bodies and our whole complete beings are changed. You understand what I'm saying? Go ahead. That created more questions. I'm sorry. The initial death process with Adam was not immediate. Like they lived 900. Uh-huh. So is it kind of like the reverse happening? I would say yes and no. It depends on what you mean by that. Because the initial death process was immediate. But the effects of that death took a while to manifest. Because the initial death process was the separation from God. That was the reality of the death that that existed and that created all of the corruption that we see so that separation because it's God that sustains nature that that sustains life so that separation created decay so that decay end up in what we see now with cancers and then all the other stuff that goes on in the earth but the initial death was the, the separation but the effects of that death God gonna reverse last so he dealing with the first part first, which is the separation. So he brought peace through the blood of Jesus Christ and reuniting us to God. So the full effects of Adam's death, the decay that comes through the flesh and the nature is going to be dealt with at the end. That's the final redemption that we wait for, that we long for. If it, you understand what I'm saying? Go ahead. Uh, if I may, go ahead. I would rather not treat this as a Bible study. I'll probably be at the Bible study soon, but, uh, Okay, that's a good, interesting thing. I got two points I want to just see about. The first is the death thing concept. I do associate that with being the disconnect from God, you know, spiritually. Uh, you are no longer inside of him or attached to him through your abuse of your free will, through sin. Okay, uh, but when he talks about death, I'm feeling like oh, he's not talking about physical death. I know it, it can be included, but I think he's talking ultimately about the fact that you are no longer uh God what he did on the cross, you gotta turn his you gotta turn his back to sin. Sin can't be a part of him. Uh spiritual death. And the second question I had with that one was off the second question is um how do you feel about 
Because I'm not at a point right now where I can look at church and consider them sinners or evil. I remember having a long discussion with somebody about uh, them telling me, try to swim me up and down, that a baby, <laughs> that a baby was evil because their mama was shaded. And I mean, I'm talking about, I remember the girl was like, probably about, uh, man, probably about a year old. And she said, no, that baby evil. I'm telling you. And I, just remember, I couldn't even take it serious. I'm thinking myself, hey, man, at the end of the day, well, bringing it home, my thing was on. Um, Jesus said this. He said, unless we become as the church, we mm-hmm. shall not know why and inherit the kingdom. How does that correlate with um Paul's reference to us all as being born in sin? Because just like there are, we do have the capacity, individuals with free will, children, we got the capacity to make less than wise decisions or ungodly decisions, but they also got things that are in them innately because of the fact that they were created by God. So how do we how does the fact that the idea that we could be born sinners correlate with the fact that he said, unless we become as children, we shall in no wise inherit the kingdom? Okay. <clears throat> the one is you, you're talking in two different degrees. Because the fact that we're born sinners <clears throat> is a, something that's carried throughout all of Scripture. From Genesis <clears throat> on through. And it's the idea that wickedness is in the heart of human beings. So our imaginations are evil. Children are rebellious. That's the nature of them. That's why we have to train them and teach them in righteousness. Because anytime you, you're dealing with kids, the things that you teach them most often is how to do right. That's, that's, what, you, that's what you're training them. That's what you're teaching them. Now, one thing you don't have to ever teach them is how to do wrong. But you find them doing it. That's because it's in their nature. It's just, it's just an expression of who we are. So you don't never have to sit a kid down and teach them. If you want to get out of trouble, tell a lie. But you catch them doing that because it's in our nature. Our nature is corrupted. But when Jesus talked about we need to be converted and become as little children, he was talking about to the dependency and the childlike faith that, that, that kids have. A kid, the more kiddish a kid is, the more dependent they are. You, you understanding what I'm saying? So the newborn, he can't do nothing without his parents. He needs you to eat. He needs you to be clean. He needs you to go to the doctor. Everything that he has to do, he cannot do it apart from you. And he is completely dependent upon you to make it happen. When a child gets hungry, what are they going to do? Call you. We call it crime. When they use the bathroom on themselves and they need to be clean, they're going to start crying, calling you, because they're completely dependent upon you for all of their life and all of their existence. So to be converted and become as a child is to be changed and transformed to the point where we get out of this self-dependence and this idea of autonomy from God and where we Dependent upon him. When we trust him, we trust him completely. Like you can tell your kids something. You can say it may be we going to do such and such and such and such. But because you said it, that means it's going to happen. Because they trust you. And we have to break that out of them. Unfortunately, a lot of parents end up breaking that out of them. But it takes years to break that out of children because they trust their parents. To the point where they wouldn't believe something stupid. If you said it, 
because they completely and totally trust you. That's being like a child where you have this dependency, you have this relation of trust and dependence on God. So when he's talking about converted, be converted and become as little children, he's talking about be transformed from self-dependence to God-dependence, from total reliance on self to reliance upon God where we trust him when we trust him completely. But that doesn't have nothing to do with the nature that children possess because it is hard to look at a child and say, yeah, yeah, they Now, some people go to the umpteenth degree and want to say that, oh, that's the spawn of Satan because they mama know. But when we say children are evil, what we mean is that there's corruption and there's sin inside of them. There's rebellion inside of them. And we have to train them to not be rebellious and push them towards God so he can change their nature. Because the same nature that we possess, they possess. You, you, it makes a little sense to you. Go ahead. I don't know. Did they have negative the fact that, say, for instance, they are trusting, uh-huh. which is a sign of faith. Uh, they are usually, as far as I know, they innocent. You know, uh, they have the capacity until, unless it becomes, uh, I'm disturbed. They have the capacity to love people around mm-hmm. them. You know, they might trip out sometimes. They might steal. They might. Life, they've been taught that the truth is get them in trouble. If they've been taught, been taught that the truth is not a good thing, that it can be something that conflict with what you want to do. I think, uh, I believe they gifted, but at the same time, just like Jesus was perfect, but he had to get tempted in order to fulfill his righteousness. Uh, I feel like the children have the same capacity if they have to be led and directed, but, um, like you said, raise them up in the way they should go. And I do believe in the covering of the parents or the covering of God over kids. And uh, like the blood, you know, in Pharaoh, you know, put the blood on the walls. You know, that situation in Egypt, they were covered by the prodigal son. Even though he thought he was supposed to hit the streets and get do all that, he still was a prince the whole time. He just thought he was not. So he acted like he was not. But, um, yeah, I, I'm just. It, it, it's a struggle. And, and the one thing that, that'll help you out as you wrestle with it is you have to answer this one question which, which started this whole thing for us is why must they be born again? Because if it's possible, just purely through teaching and guiding for me to lead my kids into righteousness, why must they be born again? You get what I'm saying? Because that would be an option as well. So you can enter the kingdom through training up in righteousness or you can enter the kingdom through new birth and forgiveness. But Jesus don't say that. He said everybody that which is born of the flesh is flesh. We're born of the spirit is spirit. So they must be born again. And the reason they must be born again is because there's something wrong in their nature. Now we all are created in the image of God and we're going to get there. So you are telling the truth. There is some things innate in us because of how we were created. But those innate things is a knowledge and understanding of good and right and wrong, but it's also a desire and a longing to do evil and to be selfish. The deceitfulness is in the heart of a child. It's in there. And that's that's the human heart. So as long as they're human, that's what they are. That's why we got to be born again. And Romans talked about that. They show the law in their hearts through either accusing or excusing one another. What he mean by that is 
when you look at people talk about the man on the back of the moon and the side of the mountain and the other side of the desert, that theoretical man who never met nobody else but himself. That person, those people in the jungle, so on and so forth, Paul is saying that they show that they know the law because they either accuse one another or excuse one another. What he mean by that, if you come and steal my spear and I get mad, I'm accusing you of doing something wrong to me. Because anger is a reaction of a perceived injustice. So whether or not somebody taught me a law, whether or not it's the rule thou shalt not live, we're in the jungle. But if you come steal my spear and I get mad, I'm showing you that I believe what you did was wrong. So I'm also showing you that when I did it, I know it was wrong. You you get what I'm saying? And we see that in children. That they can have their candy and hurry up and eat it before they get home. But if the brother do his, he's going to come and run to you. They had all that candy, he ain't even share. Don't we supposed to share? <laughs> and so they're revealing both sides of the corruption of natural human being. We have righteousness in us because we were created in the image of God. But that image has been corrupted. It ain't gone. It's been corrupted. So we take that righteousness and we ignore it when it don't benefit us and we use it when it benefits us. You get what I'm saying? So that's why we have to train them in righteousness, but training alone does not produce righteousness. It takes the, the spirit of God and the rebirth to have that truly manifested. Because if you got a person that purely been trained, all you got to do is outward act, actions. And then you got what the Pharisees were, whitewashed tombs, but inside, inwardly, you feel a dead man's bones. So that's how they cannot murder, but still hate. That's how they cannot go out and commit adultery, but still lust. Because they were trained right. You get what I'm saying? And if you've been in church long enough, you know some people like that. They know all the right words to say. They know all the right expressions. They don't know the right moves. They know when the drum hit the right beat, how to shuck the right dance. But then when you get a chance to peer inside their heart, you'd be like, hold up. You know what I'm saying? Ain't nothing I can put my finger on to and say you did that wrong, but man, something ain't quite right. You know? <laughs> and it's because outwardly they know how to act but it's something inside of them that has yet to be changed it, it, it makes a little sense to you. I'm still unclear on what it means about there being no imputation of sin before the law because I mean the reason for death is a result of the sin mm -hmm. and death continued to happen because of sin such I'm thinking about the flood I'm thinking about you know Sodom and so what does it mean that there's no imputation of sin because the death happened because of the sin? The death happened because of the sin, but the sin that he's referring to is not the sins of those people, but the sins of Adam. And that's the point that Paul was driving home, is that from Adam to Moses, death was still in the world. But sin is not imputed where there is no law. And what he means by that is, once God looked over the landscape of humanity from Adam to Moses, the way you see death is being poured out is a continuation that came from Adam's act. It's not a direct punishment for each individual sin. You, you, you get what I'm saying? So when he's looking 
He's judging the corruption that Adam's poured forth throughout creation. It's just a continuation of it. He's not judging each individual act of each individual person. So the death is there. The death reigning. The death is existing. It's continuing through the corruption. Go ahead. I'm confused because I thought the reason why the flood happened was because of their Man, man is sin. evil. And he says that it repented the Lord that he made man because the thoughts are evil from their youth. So he see a state of mankind where corruption is continuing and evil is so bad that he resets the whole thing. But the idea of that Paul is getting to is that even up until that point, before that point, people were dying. But the death was a continuation of Adam's corruption and not a direct pouring out of God's judgment. You, you <laughs> sure. look at the situation of, of, uh, of like Sodom and Gomorrah for example um, and it seems as if direct judgment was laid directly for the measurement of transgression mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah and the idea is in that is that it's the elimination of corruption because even in all those stories if you see the flow it's an elimination of corruption so when Sodom and Gomorrah situation, yes, bam, they were poured out, but they didn't sin after the similitude of Adam. In the sense that there was no direct law given unto them. Thou shalt not such and such and such and such. Yeah. So that's what he means by they didn't sin after the similitude of Adam. Adam disobeyed a direct command of God. They lived in the corruption and the corruption was spreading throughout the earth. So even if you, you watch the whole track from Genesis, well, even from Noah on through, it's the elimination of corruption and the raising of righteousness. That, that's the story of the separation. So you start with God destroying it all and flooding it. What's he doing? He's trying to wipe out corruption and he's starting it fresh with a new family. The story of Sodom and Gomorrah is parallel with the story of the, the raising and the calling of Abraham. So he's destroying a nation while at the same time he's raising up a nation. And even with the, the calling of the children of Israel, he told them, your children, they're going to be in uh, a land that's not their own. They're going to be strangers and foreigners for 400 years because the iniquity of the Amorites is not full. But when he bring them into the nation, it's the, the cleansing out of the nation and the raising up a righteous nation. That's the idea. So he's cleansing corruption from the earth. So is there judgment? Yes, but the reason death was continuing at all that point was not because the people were disobeying a direct command of God. They didn't have one. It was because of the corruption that Adam sent forth through the nation. So death was reigning. Death was ruled. It was the state of the day. People were killing. People were dying. All these things were taking place because of the corruption that Adam released throughout the nation. So when God comes and he wipes out, he was wiping out and he's eliminating corruption. He's, he's revealing his heart and his stance on corruption. Now, is there judgment on those nations? Yes, Paul talks about that. And that judgment is because they do not acknowledge the God that made them. They turn from worshiping the God to worshiping the creator. It's just like mama getting mad at the folks for coming in their house. Did they do anything wrong? Did they put their foot on the furniture? 
You know what I'm saying? Did they just go in the refrigerator and drink all the last of the Kool-Aid? No. So by law, you don't see anything that they violated. But by principle of being in nature and in the, in the setup of the creation, yes, they violated greatly because they turned their backs on the one who created them. They did not, not acknowledge the one in whom house they dwell. You get what I'm saying? So that corruption is the thing that brought the wrath of God upon them. But God was not singularly punishing them because I told you not to do that and you did it anyway. So now I got to get you. No, because there was no law, but there was a consciousness of God. So when we read in Romans 1, it talks about the evil of the people. It says that the unrighteousness, that's the reason that God poured out his wrath. But then again, to talk about unrighteousness, it says, because neither were they thankful. Neither, neither did they acknowledge him as God. They suppressed the truth and the unrighteousness. So it's this position of disregarding God and disrespecting God, not acknowledging him as God. That's why he poured out his wrath upon them, because they know who God was. But the death and the continuation of death is because of the transgression of Adam. You get what I'm saying? A little bit. Wrestle with it. it, it it's a heavy one. Go ahead. So. I can't help but think about the unpardonable, um, is it unpardonable sin? Mm -hmm. Is that essentially like that first act of Adam was that unpardonable trespass that caused all of this? Like the, the wrath could could not be held back. Like it was a direct. Would I say it was unpardonable? I, I, well, I, not. I, go ahead. Yeah, not unpardonable, like unforgivable, but. Like the act that causes, like, where God won't withhold his hand. I'm, I'm trying to understand. So was that the one thing that can be done where God won't? It seemed like he painted his whole bloodline. Yes, but that was an act of Adam and not an act of God. Yes, that's yeah. Adam. Adam tainted his whole bloodline. <clears throat> and that's true. But if you're saying that because of that act, God had to act and not be merciful, I can't reach that because in the sense that he was merciful. Because at that point, he could have wiped out mankind right then. But yet and still, he, he, he covered Adam and Eve. And he continued to show mercy and then just completely destroyed the whole thing. Even in the sense of when he brought judgment upon the whole world and he left Noah and his family. That was an act of mercy. But he could have just killed the whole thing, killed the whole game. It's over with. So the mercy of God is something that we would never see an existence of creation that don't have it. And to uh, shut this whole thing down in a new heaven and new earth. But long as there's human being on this earth because God by nature is merciful. So there is never would be a time where you cannot say, where you say God wasn't being merciful in that standpoint, in that stand, in that instance. Because even then he, he pardoned Adam and Eve in the sense that he allowed them to continue to live. Now there was judgment, there was consequences, but judgment and consequences does not mean that mercy is not being poured forth. You, you get what I'm saying? Because you can judge mercifully. And you do it as a parent. And sometimes you punish your kid, but you do it mercifully. You don't go to the full extent that you can do so. But you do it to a degree that they learn and they need to understand that what they did was wrong and you don't like it. 
and God does the same thing. So he judges us, but his judgment, his mercy is always there. His mercy is always available to us. Makes a little sense. Anybody else? That's it? That's all yours, Pastor.